just past 7 o'clock and no time to dilly-dally tonight. We've got a full show for you. It's Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo along for the ride. And Ira, I don't know about you, but I think across the world of social media and just hearing from people, some people thought that this weekend of football was boring football. I thought those games were awesome. What did you think? Every single game was close. Every single game that they, they had a chance. Anybody, it, was, it was tremendous. It was one of the best wild card weekends I've ever seen. Some people don't like defense, I, I think is the problem. They want to see these 40, 49 to 42 games. This was hard-nosed football won by defenses and running backs, which isn't really the NFL anymore. Or running quarterbacks, because yeah. two of the three of the games, the leading rusher was the quarterback themselves, <laughs> and that's a little bit different. But no, I thought, look, I love the NFL playoffs. I hope they don't change it. I think it's perfect. Have Don't give me six, three games each day. Give me four games. I can watch them all. They're all exciting back-to-back. Next week, the same thing. Four games. It's just mm-hmm. perfect. Four, four, two. Remember, there's only 11 uh, playoff games. That's all there is. Yeah. So. Uh, between including the Super Bowl. And that, to me, is what makes the NFL perfect. This weekend was great. Cannot wait for next weekend. <laughs> Ira, we've got some massive guests tonight. First, at 7.30, it's going to be Jeff Nixon. He's the offensive coordinator at Baylor, and this is really significant with what's going on. Well, it's significant because he led a team that was 1-11 two years ago to within winning an overtime against Oklahoma to play for the college football playoffs, one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of college football, and has been the co-offensive coordinator. He has a big hand in, in doing all this. We get to talk about Baylor and where they goes, and also the head coach at Baylor is being rumored to be is interviewing today, I guess, for the Giants job, too. So there's a lot going on, uh, a lot to ask him. He actually was also um, the coach of Ryan Tannehill when he was with yeah. the Dolphins, so he coached Dolphins, so get some insight in terms of T- Tanny Hill with uh, Tennessee. So Comeback player of the year, for sure. And then at 7.50, uh, Tim Frank, we've had him on the show before, vice president of NBA, uh, works in communications, and this is also very, very timely. Because he's going to talk about, he worked with David Stern, Commissioner Stern, who passed away last week um, for 13 and a half years. He has some really great, we did we taped that interview because we do it early in the day, mm-hmm. but he had some great stories about working with Commissioner Stern and really what, I, I hated the term, Commissioner Stern uh, remade the NBA. He didn't remake it. He built. It was him. He made it. There's a difference between remaking it. They had the 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 whole total revenues were 100 million when he came to the league, and then when he left, it's 5.5 billion dollars. So. And, and it's a great interview. Like you said, we did it already. You got some great stuff um, out of Tim Frank. So stick around. That happens at 7:50. So Ira, you got a lot of flack two weeks ago for not traveling while you had the flu. So you made up for it this week. You took a lot in. Uh, the Orange Bowl after our show, and then the Citrus Bowl on Wednesday between Alabama and Michigan, and then I got to go on Thursday for the Heat game. So I want to see the Heat and Raptors down in Miami. So, Ira, let's get right into the uh, NFL. Um, so, by the way, I did pick every game with the points, <laughs> if you were giving me credit on that, but not the, not the outcomes we wanted. And the first game we should talk about is the Bills and the Texans, and I just— I, I went away from that game feeling bad for Josh Allen and bad for Bills fans because I thought they were the better team for the for the majority of that game. Horrendous loss for Buffalo. Uh, the only thing I could say is uh, their quarterback's so young and that he's able to learn from that game yeah. and the team's able to learn and their coach, Sean McDermott, can learn from the game. But, oh, so frustrating. I was so convinced. I mean, for 
two and a half quarters, I'm like, they're dominating the game. They're winning this game. This is it. This is this. Exactly, the game went exactly how I thought it would go. The Bills' defense was suffocating, um, but they, it just shows. We talked about this in the Ohio State-Clemson uh, game. It's like when you have a chance to get this lead, there's a big difference in football between 16 to nothing, 19 to nothing, and like 30 to nothing, 30 to nothing. And that's the problem is that being 16 to nothing in this day and age of the football was not enough. You know, it's funny. I, I was watching the game with friends, and they're like, wow, Buffalo's, you know, just keeps getting more and more points. And I kept saying, these should be touchdowns. And it's going to cost you. Field goals are great. But if even just one of those Hauschka field goals was a touchdown, that's a totally different game uh, come, the, come the end. But uh, all right, tell us what happened. Well, I mean, the Bills, the first drive, Josh Adams had a, had a 40. I mean, the key with Adams was he was able to run the ball, pass the ball. He looked dominating. The Bills' offensive line was great. I mean, they were up 10 uh, nothing. I mean, to start the game. And every time the Texans had the ball, Watson was sacked. I think in the first quarter, he was sacked four times. Yeah. So you could see the, the Houston offensive line was just a mess. And uh, at one point, the Bills got the ball on their one-yard line. Singletary, uh, Dale Singletary rushed it for a first down. And then Allen threw to Beasley, Singletary again. And, and they got into, but they got stopped on a third and two, which they had really had a chance, I thought, to get a first down. But they kicked a 40-yard field goal, made it 13 nothing. So that's the end of the first half. It's 13 nothing. Texans only had three possessions that entire half. Crazy. 13 to four first downs. How about yardage? 247 <laughs> to 81. And Hopkins, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the, the star player for Texans, had no patches, pa- passes caught. And, and then you start the second half, and you're like, okay, well, this is where, uh, where we're going to come back and the Texans are going to do something. But what do they do? They, they start sacking Watson again. They get their fifth and sixth sack, mm-hmm. and uh, Allen was running the ball real well. Texans had a drive, and, and you, could, you knew that Hopkins was sort of desperate to do something because they, they finally completed to him, and he fumbled the ball. <laughs> and uh, the key play of the game, well, there's a bunch of key plays, but one of the first key plays was that they had a chance to go. They're up, it's up uh, 13 nothing, and Allen rushed for uh, trying to get a first down. It was like a third and two or whatever. And J.J. Watt made this great yeah. stop. Now, Watt has been out the whole year with a pectoral strain. Comes back, a miraculous return. You saw him on the sidelines, just yelling at the team, motivating the team, keeping them. If J.J. Watt's not in the game, I don't think they come back. No. He made that play. Six minutes to go in the third quarter. Held them to a field goal, 60 nothing. So still with six minutes to go, you're up 60 nothing. And the Bills defense was playing great. And I just went, but I was nervous. Like, I'm like, I was texting you. I'm like, I don't know about <laughs> <Yep>. this. And <laughs> And then, uh, and then, and then, it just, then the Texans. Finally, what's happened is that the Bills were able to hold them. But then the Texans. Watson's great. Watson was able to create things, throwing to Hopkins. He had runs from the twenty yards. They ended up scoring, made it sixteen, and they got the two point conversion, sixteen to eight. Yeah. But with the two point conversion, that means like a sixteen nothing when there wasn't a two point conversion makes it three score game. Now it's really a two score game. Um, started the fourth quarter was when it all fell apart for the Bills. They're up sixteen eight. They had the ball in the fifty yard lines, and Josh Allen fumbles the ball. I mean, just. You cannot fumble no. the ball. Mer- uh, Merciless for Houston picks it up. They get a field goal, make it 16-11. Then what the Bills start to do is they first three and out. In the fourth quarter, it was the first time they went three and out. Texans get the ball. Watts get Watson to Hopkins for a 40-yard pass. Hide for a touchdown. They get the two-point conversion. They scored 19 straight points. They're up 19-16. And then I got to give the Bills credit. I mean, everything was falling apart. And, uh, but, and so with four minutes to go, Allen was like that. That was they had a drive going, but then Allen gets sacked by Merciless. Yeah. Then it was it, they were in field goal range. They get knocked out of field goal range. Then he goes. It was like fourth and twenty three or third and th- twenty three. Then it was like fourth and forty. And then they had to go. <laughs> and then they had to throw the pass. It was a disaster. They tried on fourth down and did it. And uh, you thought the game was totally over at that point. Yep. There was only one. 
like one minute 21 left on the clock. And, but then they use it. Again, you got to keep your timeouts. You cannot spend second quarter, second half timeouts. But on fourth and one, all Texans had to do was get Watson for like an inch and he gets stopped. Yeah, on the, and then, that was crazy. That, and then Allen leads the team down. He, you know, he threw, he threw, uh, he threw a pass to Duke Williams. Uh, then he threw one to John Brown, and they was able to get down to for a field goal and tie it in nineteen nineteen. It's just I, unbelievable. And then you're like, okay, that just shows you why I thought the Texans were. The, now the Bills, they were able to recover. They're tied. They'll go to overtime, especially when the Texans didn't do anything. The Texans get the ball to start the overtime. Yeah. <laughs> they don't do anything. Remember the rule: overtime rules. First one to score a touchdown wins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and but after if you could kick a field goal, the other team has a chance to match it. Um, but then the Bills were driving, and, and then they Watt made another uh, great sack. But there's, I think the Bills had a chance. Cody Ford, had they called him on that blindside block, mm-hmm. they would have got a first down there. It wasn't there. that bad. It was not a bad. And I think the Bills would have been in – they would have had the ball like on the 40-yard line. Mm. That was just a – I thought that was the worst call. Of all the calls this weekend, everyone's yelling about, Cody Ford's not called for that blindside block. I think they go in and they kick a field goal. And the remember, a the field defensive goal, lineman lifted up and made eye contact with him. It, was, it wasn't blindsided. It was just vicious. And remember, if they if they make a first down there, they kick a field goal, they win the game. Yep. They just needed to figure, but they weren't able to. So then on uh, um, then the, the Texans were able to get the ball back on a punt. And then that great play with uh, De, um, Deshaun Watson where he was hit on the ground by Neal and Milano, knocked around. Then he was able to throw a pass to Jones. Uh, amazing. First and goal kick a field goal, win the game. So you can't give the Texans two chances to try. But the Bills had their chance to win that there. Yeah. They just was a, just horrendous. They blew the 16-0 lead, and then they blew the overtime. No, I agree with you. And there's two takeaways uh, for me from this game. One, the Bills' future is bright. It, you're going to have bumps in the road like this. Got a second-year quarterback. Got, you know, just a young team in general. They're not that talented, you know, as far as skill, skill players go. So I'd be really excited if I'm a Bills fan. The other indictment is the Texans. And if I'm a Texans fan, I don't feel good about this at all. And I'm not prepared to play Kansas City this week. Just They were, like we said, the Bills beat them for almost that entirety of that game. And they still managed to come out with a win. You just got to think that Deshaun Watson, I mean, again, he had 247 yards passing, 45 yards rushing. It's one of the few games where the, the, the leading passer and runner were Josh Allen, the quarterbacks. He had threw for 264 yards and 92 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. So they were both. But you got to think that Deshaun, you have Deshaun Watson. He'll come up. He, that, he made a clutch play just like he did with Clemson when they beat Alabama. He's a great, great quarterback, and he can make these plays out of nowhere. But again, I just they, I don't think they played well. The Bills had a chance to win the game. They, this was a more mature team. I think they put them away. Absolutely, I agree. And they're going to have that that test next week <laughs> against Patrick Mahomes and this uh, this Kansas City team. Uh, let, let's shift gears to what could be Tom Brady's last game. We don't really know. And if it is his last game, he went out with a pick six. So I think he's going to have to come back and get some retribution for that, though. But congratulations to my Titans. That's a big win in Foxborough. Humongous win. Uh, I, I think that the question was there was a lot of things. Was, like you looked at Belichick's record against coaches that he had uh, that had worked with on his staff was was almost undefeated yeah. in terms of playing. And Mike Vrabel was uh, was the coach there, and also against first team first time quarterbacks in the playoffs, he was zero and eleven. I mean, they were zero and eleven <laughs> against Belichick. But it was just it was like one of those games where again I just think the Patriots they blew the, the third and one. We'll go through the game in a second, but there's that one point where I they they had their chances again. The field goes over touchdowns. And when you look and watch these games and you're seeing the field goals, like great, we got a field goal. 
Field goals are great when you're trying to win the game. They're not good in the first and second, especially how teams can score in the NFL, and especially how teams are having trouble scoring at some point. But, uh, I mean, they were able to go up. I mean, they got the field goal to start the game 3 nothing. And then, But I, how Tennessee just went, drove down there, and, and Derrick Henry, in terms of running the ball, just I, I'm like old-school NFL, just yeah. handing it to him and running. I mean, it was just tremendous. And Taniel, but again, Taniel made the passes, the Ferkster for that touchdown, the passes he had to make, no stupid mistakes, no interceptions, just perfect thing, except for the one fumble that he had. Uh, but, again, when they scored, I mean, it was amazing. In the first few possessions, they go up 7-3, then the Patriots come down and make it 10-7 and take, the back, take back the lead with Edelman. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I liked how they've been like, okay, well, Tennessee, so now the Pats on the first two times have moved the wall, ball well against Tennessee. And you're like, Tennessee's defense isn't that good. Patriots are going to have figured it out. Belichick's had time to prepare. He knows what he's doing. Josh McDaniel, Brady, they're going to work. I mean, to think that they didn't score. I mean, they, they, was up, they were up 10-7. They scored three points for like the rest of the game. Just amazing with Tom Brady, at quarterback. Um, but they, it's just some weird. I mean, I thought they were dominating, but the key was the Patriots got all the way down first and goal, and they went. They ran three straight runs, settled at first and goal with a one, yeah. and settled for a field goal, thirteen and seven. And that was to me that was that was the end of that was the end of the the that was their last points. But just they needed to they needed to figure out different ways to score. Um, Sony Michelle, I mean, all the draft choices. Nikhil Harry, everyone was excited about. Had, did not develop as a great wide receiver this year. He was terrible. Sony Michelle actually regressed this year as yeah. running back. It's it's really the players they had. They just didn't have these the playmakers. Whereas like a Gronkowski, like if you think about Gronkowski, a Gronkowski would have made that play absolutely and, and would have done something. And that's that's where they did not have the playmakers on that. Um, but then at the end of the first half, the Titans were able to go up 14-13. They had the you know again Derrick Henry just ran down the field. And that's where you start getting nervous about the Patriots. They could not stop Henry. I mean, he was just, the first half, he had 18 carries for 122 yards. I mean, can you imagine a Patriots defense giving up 122 yards? In a uh, half. In a half. I mean, Tannehill <laughs> only threw a 6 for 11, 52 yards. But it was, I mean, the Pats moved the ball that first half. They had 250 yards. But the Patriots, but Tennessee uh, was able just, you know, still had that lead 14-13. You're listening to Iron Sports at 716. This is the True Oldies channel. Baylor offensive coordinator Jeff Nixon joins us at 730. And then Tim Frank, vice president of, of the NBA's communications, he's going to join us at 750. A lot to talk about. Uh, so keep going with this game. It was not Patriot-esque. No, because the, Tannehill did fumble on the 50, which was, but he got the ball back. Then he threw an interception there by the big fourth quarter. But it was like the Patriots just could not get anything going. And... Uh, um, like even on the there, the ball on the 50, 12, 40, they're down one point on the 50 yard line, third and three. They weren't able to complete that. And then the, the, uh, uh, the Titans in that one play, they had this, they had a fairly long drive, uh, were able to run some time off the clock. It was fourth and four. Uh, they were punting from their, from their 47 yard line. It was going to be like a 54 yard field goal. And Mike Vrabel did what Belichick does to other teams. These weird rules, which I guarantee was going to be changed where he purposely <laughs> committed penalties, but the clock kept running. Yeah. So he, he did a delay of game, but after the delay of game, under the, over five minutes, the clock ran. So then the clock, then he, then he, but if you do two delay games in a row, you get an unsportsmanlike contact, the clock stops, 50-yard penalty. But he said, do an illegal motion. So he did a delay of game, <laughs> illegal motion, delay game. They ran two minutes off the, off, the, uh, off the clock. Patriots get the ball back. It actually probably cost the Patriots one whole possession. And then the Patriots get the ball back, can't do anything. Tennessee gets the ball. And, uh, and I, again, I thought Tanny Hilda Ferkster made a key, first down pass because at that point you're like just give Brady some time they're only down one point you just it felt like they were going to win that game but when they got that 
that was uh, that was they were able to do that. And Tennessee took it down to like 35 seconds before they punted the ball, giving Brady no time. I mean, it reminded me of the Giants Super Bowl when he got the ball back with like 30 seconds, yep. and then it was just a disaster. Mm-hmm. So he really didn't have time to come down there. They were out of their timeouts, but uh, just a just a bad. I mean. I, I, I look. I was rooting for the Patriots. I like Tom Brady. I like. I was. I, I'm not like one of those Steeler fans that hates the Patriots. But uh, Ryan Tannehill, eight for 15, seven different receivers, only 72 yards. But uh, Henry, 34 carries, 182 yards, one touchdown. He had like almost 200 yards last week. This guy is a playoff performer and running and just tremendous. I mean, it was, a, it was just one of those things where if they're able to, to run like this against Baltimore, control the game. What happened to the Bill Belichick, you know, school of take away your best thing? Titans can run the ball, and they had no answer for Derrick Henry. Granted, Tannehill didn't do anything, but he didn't need to as Derrick Henry just steamrolled them. Right. I mean, Derrick Henry, Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. Uh, you know, it's uh, you got, you're going to get – it's interesting. You're going to get in the um, – uh, Baltimore Tennessee game. Uh, Mark Ingram won the Heisman Trophy too. So you got two yeah. Heisman Trophy winners, two star running backs from Alabama yeah, going against each team. other. Same team on both teams. Running. And it's also two. You know, uh, Baltimore led the league in rushing, and now you've got the rushing leader in in um, in Derrick Henry. So th- this is going to be an interesting game. We'll talk about that coming up. Let's shift gears. Ira NFC was all day on Sunday. I I, I love the the Vikings with the points in this game. I thought it'd be closer than most people thought. About Halfway through this game, though, I was thinking the Vikings got this. Drew Brees just didn't look like himself, and it ended up with a, a big upset here in uh, in New Orleans. He didn't look like himself, but it looked like in that second quarter, I felt like the Saints figured it out. Like, Taysom Hill was just a tremendous. tremendous. <laughs> he ran for a first down. Then he threw a 50-yard pass uh, to Deontay Harris. I mean, that was just a tremendous. And then Kamara runs it, and Hill blocks. So he, he runs the ball. He throws the ball. He catches the ball. He blocks. He does everything. And they're up. And, but Delvin Cook, I mean, it's all about Minnesota when Delvin Cook is in the game and running I mean he had runs just like Henry just a 22 yard run the screen pass for 19 yards when he's not in they just are not the same team they look terrible and and, but when he's in the game they look fantastic uh but uh uh, but then, you know, he, they scored a touchdown. They were up 13-10. And then with 30 seconds, but then even when they were up 13-10 with 30 seconds left, uh, New Orleans returned the kickoff to the 45-yard line. And uh, they, but then Lutz, who had made 19 straight yeah. field goals, misses it. So they, they go into the first half, up 13-10. Again, Cook had 84 yards rushing. Um, and the Saints only had 130 yards in that first half, 50 on that one play. Mm-hmm. So you're like, what's going to happen? But the second half, it was unbelievable. Like, Minnesota, New Orleans, they really couldn't do anything uh, for the start. Each one was punting the ball, but then Cousins threw that pass to Diggs on the one yard line, and then Cooks ran it in. Uh, it went up twenty to ten, and Lattimore and Glad on the sidelines. You saw the Saints like fighting, like the mm-hmm. stress that they're. This is terrible. But with three minutes left in the third, with just they only had one point. They had nine first downs on eight possessions. Uh, but just sort of like that Houston game. Oh, New Orleans woke up. You know, we didn't have. We only had a ten point <laughs> lead. Breeze was five for five. Scores on a twenty yard pass. He'll make it twenty seventeen. And then. Uh, uh, and then, and then they were, and then, but the, then again, New Orleans is going down, ready to score another touchdown. And then Breeze fumbles for the first time all <laughs> crazy year, and, the, and they get it. And you're like, okay, well, that's what I'm screaming at my TV. I couldn't believe it. And it was the first two turnover game for the Saints, and the first fumble on Breeze all year. And uh, but then they were able. Then there was, then they punted the ball. Vikings weren't able to, to do anything. They punted the ball. Breeze a great drive down, and then let's kick the field goal as the time expired. 
2020. So now we have another overtime Saints game, just like last year was at the Rams game in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And what happens? The Vikings get the ball just Cousins has that perfect drive, passing to Cook, uh, running, Cook's running, and then he throws the 50-yard. As they said, I think, who was broadcasting the game? I think it was uh, Ro- or Troy Eggman said mm-hmm. it was the best pass of his life. Yeah, he it was. He threw it to Thielen, down to the five, and uh, Cook was stopped two times. Now, the rule was if you score a touchdown, it's over. So yeah. if they kicked a the field goal, the Saints would get the ball back. They ended up... Uh, throw it to Rudolph. Some people say it was pass interference. I don't think so. I didn't think so. It was push off. I mean, he's a big tight end. They were both going up the yeah, ball. That's... Defensive back didn't know where it was even turning around. I, I just thought it was, and they won the game. I mean, that was, and I love how um, Cousins within Washington had that comment. You like that when he ran out. <laughs> and then he goes in the locker room. And all the interviews with the Viking players were like, we want, did this for Kirk. Like, you know, everyone's criticizing him all year because he signed that big three-year, mm-hmm. 105 guarantee contract. But they seem like he's a leader. I mean, he, they really wanted this game. And uh, again, for the Saints, for Breeze, I mean, this is just, it was not a good day for the weekend for Breeze and Brady and the 40-year-old quarterbacks. You, you have, you're absolutely right. The two biggest name and arguably best quarterbacks in it are home right now. One thing I did notice was Drew Breeze, he's the consummate professional he was all smiles after the game it, not in the not saying anything bad about him but i think that means he's coming back if, if he had any inkling in his head that he was hanging it up after this season i don't think he would have been as you know happy about um you know happy for kirk cousins like he was so that that's a good thing to me if i'm a saints fan but did yeah, this game was tremendous like you said it was nice to see kirk cousins they were about to mutiny on him about week three of this season and now he's going to the you know the second round of the playoffs right well they had mike zimmer going to the cowboys they had cousins being replaced and Tom Brady going to Minnesota and everything being done. <laughs> but I just think how the players talked about him in the interviews afterwards. You saw that when he went in, he, when Cousins is talking to the team. I and mean, when have you seen a quarterback gather his entire team after a win? And he goes, I have three words to say to you. Do you like that? Or do you like that? You know, not do you, but you like that. Yeah. And the people, the players, they were almost like beat him up. Like I thought he was going to get hurt. They were so into that. And I, I, I got to give Cousins credit. I mean, he's a great guy. If you read about everything about him, he's fiery. I mean, he wasn't even drafted. The Redskins drafted RJ3 in the first round, drafted him in the third. He's been under, he's made a lot of money playing football, but he's been under, like, not given a lot of credit, not a lot of chances, mm-hmm. and uh, underrated, I guess, to, to some extent. And he's able to come in and, and have this humongous win. I, I think it's what you said, and, and Troy Aikman was right. That was the biggest throw of his career. And it's because he hasn't stepped up on those, those grand scales that people think he's not worth the money. There's only a certain amount of people on this planet who can make throws like this. He's one of them. So they should be happy that they do have one of those guys. I know there's a lot of teams that would be happy to have Kirk Cousins uh, right about now. Let's go to the last game. I'm surprised that this was the final game of the weekend. I thought they would have put maybe a bigger national game on, but it was the Seahawks versus the Eagles. This wasn't the prettiest game. But Russell Wilson and the Seahawks did what they had to do to win. My gosh, I think that the Seahawks, if they played a high school team, it'd be a close game. Like I, they're not blowing anybody out now. No. You could put them against a high school football team; it's going to be like seventeen nine because the Eagles were a disaster. They're playing with third string players, and then Carson Wentz, who consistently gets hurt. Unfortunately, Javar Clowney. I feel that was a cheap shot. He's going down. I could not believe they didn't call a penalty on that, where it was a spear to the head, and I was just shocked. Now, I don't know if they throw Clowney out of the game, which I think they do. I've seen them throw people out. So I was really surprised there was no penalty. They had a chance to review it. I mean, it's on a quarterback. It wasn't like it wasn't a big play for the mm-hmm. officials not to call that. I'm shocked. Like, that was already that was earlier in the game. and uh, But the Seahawks got up to a lead, and, and then we saw the emergence of DJ Met, DK Metcalf. Um, he's that rookie from Mississippi who they drafted, 
And he and and was in the interview with Seahawks where he came in without a shirt, mm-hmm. and Pete Carroll was like, because he's known to be crazy. Pete Carroll just took his shirt off too and says, <laughs> you know, I think it's great. And he goes, if I had a body like you know, if you've ever seen what DK Metcalf looks like, it's he's uh, a chiseled a, beast, a, yeah. total chiseled. And there's been this criticism. Well, he just knows how to run routes, and it was a bad traffic. But boy, he looked great. He looked like someone that you would throw the ball up to, and he's going to get. There could be ten people guarding. I mean, he looked like mm-hmm. Randy Moss when Randy Moss was young, and that was uh, tremendous. But the Seahawks get a 10 3 lead the first half. Wilson was just, again, him, perfect. You know, 181 yards. Metcalf has five catches for 71. And then their other wide receiver, TJ Lockett, played really good. They weren't really able to get that running game. The beast mode type of thing wasn't able to happen. But he did score on that one touchdown. But the key thing was Wentz is out of the game. Josh McCown, the 40-year-old who was uh, I don't know, t- teaching something or whatever. It's a con- <laughs> it was really not involved in football at all. Comes back in the game. It's amazing that this game stayed close. And I got to give Josh McGowan credit. He really hung in there and tried to. They were kicking field goals, trying to hang in there. But uh, but again, it was like they threw that 50-yard pass to DK Metcalf, made it 17-6. Eagles drive down and made it 17-9. And the Seahawks had the ball um, to at the end of the third quarter. And they were able to... Uh, to just hang on and hang on at the end. I mean, the Eagles, the funny thing is it's 17-9, it's an eight-point lead. The Eagles had it fourth and four on the 23. Miles Sanders dropped that pass that went yeah. down through to him. He catches that. Maybe they score a touchdown there. And then the Eagles get the ball back again, and they drive all the way down to the 10-yard line, and they had fourth and seven, and that's when McGowan was slacked by County. So I want to say, boy, what a great win. The Seahawks were tremendous. They were this and that. But I don't think they look. I mean, they played a very bad Eagles team, but I think that's how the Seahawks play. They just... You know, we just have to score more points than you. I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. I think that that was actually a great um, analogy that you made. Yeah, they could play a high school team, and it's going to be a last possession game. And that's how every game this season was for them. It seemed like it came down to last possession. Um, I, I think they're going to have more in the tank for next week for Aaron Rodgers. But, all right, let, let's uh, let's make our predictions. What do you think happens? Minnesota in San Francisco. I thought Minnesota was going to shock San Francisco when they played in the regular season. <laughs> and that was, I was totally wrong on that one. What do you think happens this week? Well, the line is six and a half. San Francisco's now had a, had a week to rest up. Um, I, 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 that's the one game. I've not been sold on San Francisco all year. Yeah. I just think they're still going to win this game. I'm first, I think their defense is going to stop Cook, and I think that they're going to score enough points. I, I just think that their Kittle, they, they're, I was concerned about, look, their defense did not play well going down the stretch that the game against New Orleans scared me how they played but I think in the end they're gonna it's gonna be I, I would take I would take Minnesota in the points too I think it's gonna be a close yeah. game but I think San Francisco ends up winning I'll go ahead and take Minnesota to win just outright I, th- I think maybe that that uh, momentum from beating uh beating New Orleans in New Orleans can put them over the top here Tennessee is gonna play in Baltimore at Ira I, I don't think this one's gonna be very close well, it's a nine and a half point line, and I do think it could be close because if they're able to control the ball with uh, with Henry and mm-hmm. keep the score close and keep it keep it just not give Baltimore a lot of possessions, then I think they that's where their chance is going to be. I mean, uh, Tannehill's thirty one years old, Lamar Jackson's twenty two, and Lamar Jackson had a great year, but there's a difference. You, you see oh, yeah. these playoffs. I mean, Pat, McCombs, McCombs, uh, Patrick Holmes last year. Uh, didn't look good against San Diego. I mean, he had a he had a bad game. Like I I think that there's some pressure. You know, you, I could see Jackson say, you know, throw two picks. Like where's he throwing these or throw or fumble mm-hmm. the ball or something like something so, he hasn't done all season. Right. Really. And, and I I just think that this is this is look. It's Saturday night. It's eight fifteen. It's going to be crazy and dark and 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 whatever. There's a lot of pressure in this game. I I don't I still think Baltimore's going to win. But I I would still I'm like I like Tennessee in the points too in this. Um, this next game I don't know if I do like the points. Houston and Kansas City. Uh, after the way Houston looked and Kansas City, the way they ended their season, I think KC wins this one with no issues. 
Well, I mean, they played earlier the year, and Houston won 31-24. They had 35 first downs. They ran 83 plays to Kansas City's 47. They had a 40-20 time of possession. But that was October 13th. Since then, and we, we talked about this last week, Kansas City's given up 17 points, 9, 16, 3, 3, 21. They're 6-0. Oh, if their defense says, okay, we're going to give 20 points, I, Patrick Holmes is going to score 20 points. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's, it, I just, like, this is going to, like, this could be the 50-6 to six game that we're, the, of the weekend. Like, <laughs> I'd be shocked if, if Watson pulls this off. That'd be amazing. It would be amazing. I don't think he's going to be in position to do it because I think, yeah, they're going to be two, three scores ahead in the fourth. Seattle going to Green Bay. Can the magic continue for Russell Wilson and the Seahawks? Well, I just love the the fact that in the playoffs right now, uh, if you add up Cousins, Jimmy G, Tannehill, Jackson, Watson, Mahomes, I mean, the most that anyone has is one playoff win. And then you put Wilson and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, two Super Bowl yeah, winners. Two champs. And this is, I mean, they've, they're one's 31 years old, one's 36. They've been there. So that's, to me, the prime game. And it's also a, a huge must win for Rodgers. I mean, he doesn't have that many chances left. He's at home in this game. They had a bye. Uh, Matt Flores, is their new coach. He's getting working with him well. This is crucial. I think it's going to be a war. I, I just think Seattle's going to figure out a way to win. I just think they'll figure out some yeah. way to win this game. I, it could be by one point. But uh, I like Seattle in this game. But it's gonna. That's the one. I mean, look, all these games have intrigue and excitement. But that's Seattle Green Bay game. Whoa. I'm gonna take Seattle too. I think Seattle pulls the upset on the road. <laughs> Russell Wilson just really nothing. Nothing seems to phase him this season. And I just I could see it happening again. Um, before we get to uh, Jeff Nixon, Baylor offensive coordinator, Webman, just one minute. Surprise signing today. Kind of came out of nowhere. I, I shouldn't say the hire was a surprise, but just how it popped up out of nowhere on my feed today. Mike McCarthy going to Dallas. What do you think? Well, I think the surprise was that Jason Garrett was still there um, waiting for, uh, he like it was like one week to know that he was going to, like everyone said he was going to be fired, but he sort of yeah. said, well, I don't want to give up my job. It's like, I worked at a law firm one time and and they sort of said, you've got four months you know, to find another job. And I said, well, I, I, I'm still going to keep working. And everyone else, they were all laid off. But I mean, the point was, I felt like I could just stay and keep working. I, Jason Garrett just kept just going to work. Keep showing up. Yeah, keep showing up and something could happen. And, and, and finally they got rid of him. But McCarthy, 56-year-old from Pittsburgh, um, he was the wonder kid at one point when Green Bay hired him in 2000 and uh, he, he coached Green Bay for 13 years, nine playoffs, Super Bowl in 2010. Talk about someone who's been, he's only 56 years old, which is surprising because he'd been through everything. He was the one who took from Favre to Rodgers, which was yeah. difficult to how to handle um, and his relationship with Rodgers deteriorated the last two years. The Green Bay fired him because of that. But he spent took a year off. Everyone's been saying he's met with like every single coach alive. He's improved <laughs> everything. And I think he's the perfect fit for Dallas because they didn't want to bring someone totally new. They wanted to have some experience. It's someone I think that Jerry Jones could work with. They said he slept over the other night. He's comfortable with Which Jerry Jones. <laughs> well, I think you need I think you need a coach they can get along with and work yeah. with. I think that was the key thing. It's time to bring in uh, Jeff Nixon, Baylor's offensive coordinator here to Iron Sports. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, really appreciate you having me. Ira, what do you got? So, Jeff, we had we had you on last year, and I was complimenting you on the fact that Baylor went from one and eleven to seven and six. And now you went <laughs> a year later to eleven and three, and you were an overtime scoring uh, a few points away from playing in the college football playoffs. So I guess the first question is, how in the world do you take a team that goes from one and eleven to being playing for the for uh, virtually the college football playoff? Oh wow, man! It was a you know magical season for us. Uh, you know the players, you know they really put in a lot of work and uh, you know, to make this a special season, and you know we are very fortunate. You know, to uh, 
you know, have some really a great group of uh, senior football players, you know, who've been through a lot in the last three years since since we, uh, you know, kind of took over the program. And, you know, we had great senior leadership. And, you know, we were able to win, uh, you know, a lot of close games in the fourth quarter this year and end up having a, uh, a great a great season. And, uh, you know, just fell a little bit short there, you know, at the end with the last couple games. But it was a, uh, a spectacular season for us. Yeah, I mean, you really, I mean, beating Texas, I mean, going, you were 9-0 and when you lost, you were up, you're 9-0 and against Oklahoma, you're up 28-3 to with 11 minutes to go, and, uh, uh, and I mean, just could not hold on in that game, and that, I mean, one of the most exciting games of the year was that, was the, was the game where you lost at home when you were up 28-3 against Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, you know, we jumped up, yeah, we jumped up out out on them, and uh, like I said, we were playing that first half, but we were playing unbelievable offense and defense and special teams, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we know that they were going to make a run, and they have a great team, Uh, you know, Coach uh, 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 Riley does a great job, uh, you know, with with the program there at Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, they came back, and, and, uh, you know, squeaked out a win against us. So in the Big 12 championship game, your co-offensive coordinator, so you have this, you had a strategy, you bring a, a quarterback that hasn't probably thrown a pass all year and Jacob Zeno in. He's two for two for 160 yards on his first two passes. I, I would have just had him keep throwing. You would have, he would have had a thousand yards. I mean, totally amazing. I feel horrendous for Charlie Brewer getting hurt. You bring in Jerry Bohannon, but just, you were sort of patching it all together, hanging in there and uh, just, just losing it in overtime and just a, a tremendous game. But that must have been just, I mean, tremendous, how you were able to keep, how a guy like Jacob Zeno is ready to come into the game and, and be prepared and throw those two great passes. Well, Jacob was a high, is a highly recruited uh, uh, freshman player for us, you know, who had scholarships all over the country, and, you know, we were very fortunate to get him and, you know, really had confidence, you know, if he got a chance to, you know, uh, get in there and play that, you know, he we would be able to function and make some plays, uh, you know, to win the football game. Uh, you know, Coach Thomas, our quarterback coach, has done a great job of developing all three of our quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Gary, he was – he was. Uh, no one knows this, but he got hurt in the Kansas game the week before, so he was banged up going into that game, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you know, so, you know, Jacob had to, you know, come in and play as our third quarterback, and he has an NFL-type arm. Uh, you know, he can really throw the football, and, uh, you know, was fortunate enough he made, you know, those couple plays to get us back in the game. Uh, you know, at that point, but you know, we we thought he would play well, and like I said, we're excited about his his future here at, here at Baylor. So Charlie Brewer was your quarterback. You talked about him last year. You told me how uh, we talked to you last year about the same time. Uh, you know how impressed you are with Charlie Brewer, and I got to watch him. I watched almost every one of your games this year. Uh, one of the toughest guys you could ever imagine, and I mean, just talk a, talk a little bit about what he meant to really the whole program and your team. He, he's the heart and soul of our of our program. You know, he's been a three year starter. Had started for us since the middle of his freshman year. Uh, you know, he's just a tremendous leader. Has a it factor. Uh, you know, he, he's a winner. You know, he knows how to win. You know, he's played at Lake Travis. Uh, you know, a prominent high school here in Texas. And we have all the faith in the world that uh, that that um, you know, he's at some point during the game he's going to make a play. You know, to help us. You know, pull out a ball game. You know, it's unfortunate. You know, the last. You know, a couple games, uh, again, he, he's gotten banged up. Uh, you know, he is so tough. He likes to run the football. You know, he likes the contact uh, that he's gotten banged up a little bit and couldn't finish the game. But, like I said, I'm excited Charlie's coming back. He's a senior and looking for him to have a, a great senior year lead, leading our Baylor football program. 
And, I mean, it's been in the press about Matt uh, Rule, the coach at Baylor, being interested, you know, in terms of teams. Everyone seems to be interested in him uh, as a coach. I'm not going to ask you what you think he's going to happen, but just in generally working with Matt Rule, what is about him that makes him so attractive to college, pro, everybody in terms of his – what does he bring to the table in terms of a coach that is – literally is making him one of the hottest coaching candidates around right now? Well, Coach Rule, I mean, he's a tremendous leader of men. Uh, you know, he really cares about, you know, our, our players here and their development in every aspect of their lives. Uh, you know, if, there, if there's one coach I, I can think of that I've coached with, you know, throughout my career that, that really genuinely cares for the players and, and their, uh, you know, again, how they develop, uh, it, it, it's Coach Rule. Uh, you know, he's a special uh, coach. You know, he's done a great job at you know, the, the two places he's been at, you know, Rebuilding uh, uh, Temple University and uh, obviously Baylor, and uh, shoot man, he's just really the total package when it comes to a, a head football coach. Uh, like I said, great communicator, uh, loves his players, helps them develop, and also a very good X's and O's coach on on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. Uh, you know, so have tremendous respect for uh, Coach Rule, and uh, uh, like I said, man, we're trying to. Hopefully, you know, take this Baylor program here to the next level uh, uh, next year, going into year four. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it is. It is truly uh, tremendous. I know you guys open with at Mississippi next year, or with at home. I think you're playing Mississippi and Houston, so that'll be a, a good way to in get you. In Houston to get your team and and to to get focused. So it's I mean people criticize your schedule a little this year, but next year no one's going to criticize opening with an SEC school first game of the season. No doubt, no, we got we we we've talked about that. How we had SEC two weeks in a row. Obviously, Georgia, uh, you know, our bowl game, and then uh, Ole Miss coming up. You know, playing in uh, uh, Coach Kiffin's first game there. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, because we'll be able to play that game in Houston. You know, in our home state. You know, hopefully, a lot of uh, uh, our, our players' families from that area can come to the game, and you know, a lot of uh, uh, you know, we have a lot of recruiting ties there. So. It's going to be exciting. It'll be to kick off the season playing uh, uh, another quality SEC opponent. We're talking to Jeff Nixon, the co-offensive coordinator for Baylor University, who finished, just finished the season 11-3 uh, from 1-11 two years ago. Uh, but, uh, Jeff, you uh, you were had a lot of experience in the NFL. You coached in San Francisco. Um, all the teams in the playoffs they were doing well. And you coached under Andy Reid, uh, the coach of the Chiefs, uh, when he coached at the Eagles and also the Dolphins. And when you were at the Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill was there. And you must be happy to see how Ryan was able to come to Tennessee and really take this now team to the uh, divisional playoffs. Absolutely. Ryan is a uh, camera has a lot of talent, you know, uh, a few years uh, when I was in Miami, he was there. You know, he threw for over 4,000 yards uh, two years in a row. Uh, kid with tremendous talent. You know, he's still a young player, still developing. And, you know, it was really nice to see him go out and uh, ended up with the highest uh, quarterback rating in the NFL this year. And, uh, you know, he's done a great job in uh, Tennessee and was uh, ecstatic that they got that win on uh, uh, the other day in the playoff game. And uh, I guess the question, I mean, it, we're excited because we're, in a week we're going to see two of the greatest quarterbacks playing in terms of Trevor Lawrence and, and, and Burrow, Joe Burrow. What do you, I, what's your, I mean, you haven't played either team, but I'm sure you've seen some of their games. 
what do you, th- what, I mean, first of all, from LSU's perspective, and you guys did the same thing at Baylor to, to some extent, how do you go from taking their offense ground and pound, score like a touchdown a game, into this high-flying offensive attack? Uh, how, how were they able to make that change so quickly within like a year and a half? Uh, I think LSU has always been a team that's extremely talented on offense. Uh, I think that the change in philosophy is just the basic change in philosophy of throwing the ball a little bit more has uh, helped them tremendously. Obviously, with uh, Joe Burrows transferring there, you know, from Ohio State, uh, you know, he's a tremendous player, uh, Heisman Trophy winner. But they've always had the skill athletes. You know, if you look at some of the receivers they've had drafted the last five or six years. Uh, you know, LSU have, has always had a tremendous amount of talent at their skill position, and uh, it's going to be a great game uh, next Monday night. Man, I, I don't know who the who the pick in that game. I mean, you got two powerhouses who are uh, really two complete teams. Teams that are good on both offense and defense, and uh, it's going to be a great show on uh, Monday night next week. And where, from perspective, like you're trying to build the Baylor program into that level that you're going to be playing in that game. Where do you see you got Charlie Brewer, as you said, Charlie Brewer coming back. You have this culture, and now that next step is going to be the toughest step in terms of going from 11-3 to, you know, 14-0. and what, what do you need to do to get to that, 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 that Clemson LSU level? I, I think we really just need to continue to develop our young players, uh, you know, develop our young players. It's great to have, you know, obviously be in a bowl game, to have those extra 20-something practices, you know, to be able to develop those players for the next year. Uh, I think recruiting, uh, you know, is a big part of it. And then, uh, you know, being able to develop young talent. You know, we have a great coaching staff on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, guys who, uh, like I said, are, are, are great men who, who develop our players on and off the field. I think as long as that continues, uh, you know, we're going to continue to get better as a team and uh, have a chance to, uh, you know, win Big 12 championships and hopefully make some noise on, on the national level. Well, the best of luck to you. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy right now recruiting and doing everything. So I really appreciate you coming on I Run Sports, Jeff. And uh, best of luck for the, for the spring season and spring practice and, and into the into next year. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, uh, you guys having me on anytime. Jeff Nixon, great guest here on Ira on Sports. It's 743. This is the True Oldies channel. Ira, we got just about five minutes, but there's still a lot to talk about uh, before we get to Tim Frank, the uh, Senior Vice President of Basketball Communications for the NBA. Last week after the show, you hightailed out of here to get down to uh, to um, Miami to see the Orange Bowl, and Florida didn't disappoint you. Well, it was the one thing people have to understand is there's six major bowls, and it's really complicated how this works. But the rose and sugar on New Year's all the time, whereas the orange. The Fiesta, the Cotton, and the Peach, which is in Atlanta, they move around, mm-hmm. and that's how it's sort of. So this year, so the, if, the, if there's not, if they're not a cultural playoff year, the ACC winner, the the second in, in, or the winner of state goes. The UVA would be there, and this year is Florida's first time, I think, in like 20 years that they were able to come. And I got to see interesting because you got to see Kyle Trask in Florida next year. Trask, Auburn, Bo Nix for Auburn, and Trask for Florida. Like, what is this going to be next year? How is it my first time to see him in person? 
not that impressed. I don't think it was that sharp, mm -hmm. but it was a the, the fans turned out for Florida. I mean, the place was packed. I got there at halftime. I felt like, you know, when you walk in a party, like everyone was, I think, drunk besides me. <laughs> it was hot and humid because they have that roof in the stadium. So that was it. But there were tons. I mean, the stadium was packed. Florida fans were in it. And I, and I really thought that Trask, I mean, able to hold on. And, but the key was that Perrine, Pirine, the running back, uh, scored three touchdowns and was just dominating. It was his senior year. And, he was, and, he, and, and I think Dan Mullen, what he was able to do, he's been there for two, two years was able to turn him he came in there they, they they were four and seven and he's now able to take them on to be able their next step is he said look next year we want to play in the national championship game so that was really exciting to see that and see a team like as i said looking forward to what's going to happen going forward and and uva's played well too i mean uh bronco mendohall from byu came and in three years he's turned that program mm -hmm. around so these are two programs that are on the upswing but it was exciting i mean it, the, look the orange bowl has all the prestige it's it's it had i mean i was there when uh uh, Oklahoma beat Penn State 25-10 in 1986. That was uh, for the national championship game. Um, the most famous one is 84 when Miami beat Nebraska 31-30. Uh, and uh, then there's another. Miami won a national championship in 88, the 2014 win. But then I was just recently there uh, last year, Alabama, uh, um, the Alabama-Clemson game, mm -hmm. or the Alabama-Oklahoma game, and then also when Alabama won the national title in 2013 against Notre Dame. So it's, look, it's, it's it used to be playing the Orange Bowl. Now it's not the Orange Bowl. It's in the Hard Rock Stadium. But great to come down there. Great to go see that game. Any other uh, college games you want to touch on before we uh, move on to Tim? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, real fast, Texas-Utah in the Alabama Bowl. I was, it was one of those games where Utah had a chance to play in the playoffs. They had lost Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, really didn't play well. And Texas, though, this is for next year, so they bring a lot. They're bringing 15, uh, um, 15 starters <laughs> back. Sam Ellinger, a quarterback. This could be the big year for next year. Uh, the Belt Bowl, Kentucky, Lynn Bowden, who I know from Youngstown, Ohio, super had one of the most craziest games where he rushed the ball 34 times for 230 yards, passed it 6 for 12. He did everything. He's the quarterback, running back, did everything, and they were able to win the game on a pass at the end of the game. So big win for Kentucky. Lynn Bowden is someone you're going to see in the NFL really soon. I mean, next week, I mean, he's going in the draft, and he might. He's like a Lamar Jackson player. You don't know what he's going to do. He can play mm -hmm. almost any position. Uh, Tony the Tiger Bowl, which is hilarious because they dumped <laughs> – Herm Edwards with Frosted Flakes at Sun Bowl. <laughs> this is in El Paso. Florida State looked terrible. Again, James Blackman, four interceptions, a fumble, just an awful loss. I mean, they finished uh, under 500. Miami had it, finished under 500. Bad, you know, Florida's in the upswing. Florida State and Miami are a complete mess. And hopefully Mike Norvell, who came from Memphis, can can do something. And uh, the in the out, like the other bowls, Minnesota beat Auburn in the Outback Bowl. Big win for Minnesota. Now yeah. the question is, can P.J. Fleck, he's the same thing like at Baylor, went from 5 and 7, 7 6, now at 11 2. He's 39 years old, flies at Western Michigan. To me, a lot of Urban Meyer in him. He's someone who is either going to stay at Minnesota and maybe take him to the national title game or jump to a super big pro team, I mean, a super uh, team, college team. Uh, Oregon beating Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. It was a really exciting game. Oregon played yeah. well. Got a chance to see Justin Herbert, how he would perform. And uh, we talked about Georgia Baylor. Uh, Baylor, unfortunately, lost to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I was at the Citrus Bowl, Alabama, Michigan, and I've been there before for a lot of the games that Penn State has played in this bowl game, and I love that stadium. That stadium in Orlando is great. They you can you get there and it's uh um, it, there, it's just, it's small. It's not like it's 60,000 seats, but it's not like it's just intimate enough. It was packed. Tons of Michigan fans, tons of Alabama fans. Alabama came to play. They did not want to say, look, we had a disappointing year, but I got to see... Uh, Judy had an 
awesome game. I mean, at wide receiver. I mean, if he's not going to be a top uh, four or five pick in the draft, I'd be shocked. Six catches, 204 yards. Matt Jones, the first play of the game, throws a 70-yard bomb to him. Uh, then he threw another 50-yard bomb. And, and Matt Jones played great. And with Tua, Tua today announced that he's going pro, Matt Jones is the leader in the clubhouse mm -hmm. to get it. But Tua's brother is still there. They're bringing a, a, a freshman from... California, who's in the mix for the Alabama job, for the Alabama starting quarterback job. So it was, but it was an interesting game because it was hard. But I thought Michigan hung in the game, but in the end, it was just Alabama wanted to. They have so they have so much talent. Nigel Harris kept running the ball great, and they were able to hang on a win. Ira, um, before we get to Tim Frank, I know you got a, a busy uh, schedule coming up this week. Well, I'm going to go perhaps to one of the pro the games, but definitely we're going to broad we're going to we're going to broadcast the show earlier on Monday, and I'll be at the national championship game, the Clemson, uh, the, the 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 Clemson game, which is going to be just tremendous between LSU. And I think it's it's one of those games we're going to talk about it next week. So we had a little preview with Jeff Nixon today, and next week we'll talk about it more. But the more I think about this game, the more I think I just. I just like Trevor Lawrence better than Joe Burrow. I just think he's a better quarterback. I just think they're going to I there's I think Clemson is going to just outscore LSU and do what they have to do. I, and I just that's where I think and I, I think LSU's defense there is some weakness in that defense and I think Clemson will exploit it and I doubt their tough game was last week. So I really I still like Clemson this game but this has the chance to be one of the greatest football games of all time. Like one of those games when when uh, Texas played USC in the Rose Bowl Great game. with Vince Young and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush. Like it's at that level because you can imagine Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence playing in the Super Bowls against each other. Like that's it's like you know Tom Brady and Peyton Manning like this could be uh, one of these things where these two guys play for the next 20 years in the NFL. Let's go to Tim Frank, the Senior Vice President of Basketball Communications. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports. Um, we have Tim Frank, Director of Communications for the uh, NBA on. Um, Tim, you worked with Commissioner Stern for how many years? Well, yeah, I mean, he, he got out of here in, uh, in February of, uh, of 2014. So I was with him 13 years, I guess, or, or 12 and a half anyway, before he took off. But I still worked with him over the last few years. Uh, he, 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 uh, retired from the NBA, but he did not retire from working. He was still doing a lot of work and I would see him from time to time and help him with a few things. What was, I mean, what was he like? We, we see the public, um, we have Tim Frank, director of communications for the uh, NBA on, um, Tim, you worked with Commissioner Stern for how many years? Well, yeah, I mean, he he got out of here in uh, in February of uh, of 2014. So I was with him 13 years, I guess, or, or 12 and a half anyway, before he took off. But I still worked with him over the last few years. Uh, he 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 uh, retired from the NBA, but he did not retire from working. He was still doing a lot of work, and I would see him from time to time and help him with a few things. What was I mean, what was he like? We we see the public face of him on a on a on the big issues when he goes on television, and gives press conferences. But what was he like to work on a day to day basis? Well, he was demanding. I mean, he, he was um, very detail oriented, and he expected you to be very detail oriented. And I, I think that was probably the thing that I I learned the most from him was just you can't take you can't leave things to chance. You have to see everything through. Um, we used to have sort of an expression around here that David expected you to run out every ground ball, um, you know, and and he he wanted to make sure you were thinking things through as clearly as possible, and and uh, and that you know, listen, there were times where you'd get mad, like you'd be like, come on, this is, 
you know, I thought this through as much as I can. And then he'd say, what did you think of this? And then all of a sudden you realize that uh, there was another perspective, too, that you needed to be be aware of. But, um, but yeah, I, I think he made all of us better. Uh, you know, there were days that it was tough. You know, he'd really get on your your tail about something. But, but generally speaking, uh, his, his goal was always to make the NBA a better place. Um, we're talking to Tim Frank, uh, Director of Communications for the NBA, uh, and who was a close friend and, and a work, worker for Commissioner Stern, who passed away last week. Um, talk about David being Commissioner Stern, being more of a, a fan of the game. I mean, that's what I keep hearing is that he wasn't just a commissioner. He wasn't just a, a lawyer. He actually just that passion he had for basketball. I mean, crazy. I mean, he was every single night he would watch games. And, and it started from when he was very young. I mean, he grew up a Knicks fan and, um, you know, tried to go to as many games as he could. His father owned a deli here and, um, you know, so he was he was a big New Yorker, and 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 NBA became part of him, and and I, I just uh, it was rare that you would run into him in the hallway or talk to him any call year or whatever, and he didn't know exactly what had happened in all the games the night before. Uh, he was a junkie, and and I think that sometimes people would see the business side of it and realize how involved he was there, and they didn't realize what a basketball fan he was. He was a basketball junkie in the biggest way, and um, and he loved it, and and his best days I think we're we're going to games I mean I you know he he even to the last few years here um, when he was with the, when he was the commissioner he would go to he'd go to so many games and I would always sit there and think to myself ah you know if I was his age I don't know that I'd be doing that much traveling but he just <laughs> loved it and couldn't get enough of it well my only interaction with him was I was at the in the restroom in Salt Lake City at a at one of the restaurants after during the NBA finals the Jordan last shot and I went there and I started talking to him in the restroom and I said I was from Altoona and he goes Mike Isolino, Doug West, Johnny Moore. He knew the three players from the NBA. <laughs> I could not believe that. I I mean it's I'm telling you he knew he knew everything. And one of his fun games would be when you'd go on the plane with him. He would sit there and get the roster out and he would start quizzing you on where guys went to college. Um, and I don't mean just the players, coaches, <laughs> trainers, you know, whatever. And, you know, and he'd know a lot of it just off the top of his head. And um, he found it to be, uh, first of all, he had an unbelievable memory. So, like, if he met, you know, Doug or Mike or um, or Johnny and, and he, he knew exactly where they were from, where they went to college, and, and that just would stay in his brain. He just wouldn't leave. Uh, so it was remarkable, and, and I think that was one of the things that made him so great in in real time, whether it was press conferences or TV interviews or in collective bargaining meetings, because he had so much information that he was able to um, um, to, to give out on a quickly on a quick basis. He didn't have to look anything up. He was like a he was like a phone book. Well, the two great characteristics of him was his ability in terms of financial. I mean, people talk about he. The term I hear is he remade the NBA. Well, I think he made the NBA when you when he came in as revenues of 118 million and he left with 5.5 billion revenues. But part of it was like keeping the league in business and putting the salary cap in place and, and making sure that the league could actually have the 23 to 30 teams all make money and be profitable. I think the thing that people we talked about this the other day. Uh, one of the writers wrote something about that. The biggest compliment to David is everything that he did. He made look inevitable, and and I thought that was a really good way to put it. I mean, we look at it now and we say, oh well, of course, you know, when a, a player is diagnosed with the HIV virus, it's okay to hug them. It's okay to bring them to All Star. It's okay to put them on the dream team. 
you know, but in when he was making those decisions at that time, those things weren't necessarily viewed as okay. You know, when he created the WNBA, you know, now it looked back and like, well, of course you should have a women's professional sports league. But at that time, nobody had had a successful women's sports league. Um, you know, and this guy salary cap you mentioned is a great example. I mean, it was, you know, it was the first of its kind. Um, and it's helped small markets to be able to compete. And, and now we look back on it and say, well, that makes a lot of sense. But in 1984, it probably didn't. And so I, I think that was the thing about David was his abis- ability to see things ahead. And he was always a couple steps in front of everybody. And, and I think I think that's what made him so successful. And, uh, you know, his ability to, to be able to introduce things, to be able to convince people that it was the right thing to do, I think was important, and I, and I don't think that I, I think uh, that's the thing that's come out in a lot of the articles that I've read over the last week is 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 I think that's his greatest achievement is those types of things. We're talking to Tim Frank, director of communications of the NBA, about to the late Commissioner David Stern. Um, of course, one thing that Commissioner Stern's getting a tremendous amount of credit for is the international growth of the game and the fact that there's, basketball is playing being played everywhere. Uh, at the, and uh, I think it was I saw the one article where was, he would literally be late at night at the offices sending videotapes to people in Argentina and Brazil, just himself, like stuffing envelopes saying, here's our game. Put this on and stuff like that is a story about him. And, you know, just I, I think his passion to just try to grow the game through every corner of the world. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't about money then. It was it was really just about creating awareness, and then that developed into all kinds of business opportunities once the sport took off. And I think that's another example that of how he was so far ahead of his time. I mean, you know, now internationalizing the game seems like a pretty obvious step, but when he started doing it, it was sort of um, it was it was very uh, on the edge of of stuff that people have never done before, and and so he was. That was a great one, and, and listen, when he obviously got a jump on it in 1992 when the Dream Team was created and, and the pros started playing in the Olympics. But but he was already pushing that envelope, and and I, I think that his ability to do that obviously created all kinds of revenue streams that didn't exist before, and 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 it allowed the league to take another step in its popularity. You know, not only in this country but throughout the world. I think one thing he's not getting enough credit for is the whole idea with the shoe deals. I mean, allowing the players to keep and grow and, and to cut their own deals with their shoes, make their own money, and then and then have these, after being paid all this money, have uh, companies like Nike and Adidas and Converse spend zillions of dollars more promoting it. I thought that was brilliant because he was allowed to say, okay, your players, we're going to pay you a certain amount, but then you have the right to earn all this extra money. And I think that's allowed, that allowed a lot of the star players to buy into a salary cap and, and allowed the league to become to grow like that yeah i think it's funny i i'm not sure when that first started whether or not he could have envisioned that but that is certainly what it became um you know it, it was uh you know the money for a player to sign a shoe deal you know back when david became commissioner wasn't nearly what it is today obviously but to your point i mean one of the things about david was he wanted people to be able to share their individualism their 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 own brands their um but at the same time pull on the same rope for the NBA and i and i think that was one of the things that he was able to balance and really do a great job at um you know and because you know throughout our time now as a part of our DNA that players can express themselves players can um you know can show themselves in any way that they think is right as long as we find you know it's within the context of our rules and is appropriate 
And and I think that's one of the things that, that separated him from the other leagues is is other people were you know when when social media first came on we sort of gave the players carte blanche to do whatever they want and and our players responded appropriately and really made brands for themselves on there and had a lot of fun with the fans and and other people that were following them and so like I, I think he benefited so much from sort of trusting our players as well and giving them an opportunity to to prove him wrong you know that he thought they could handle those types of uh freedoms and 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 they have always done such a great job with it it's really helped us to grow um and also i i think he doesn't get enough credit for actually making the game look good i mean i was reading lots of articles about saying how he was concerned you know that's why they tinkered with the rules all the time and added different rules but also even discipline during the game and they made fun of the fact if a player left the bench he would get a penalty but he didn't want he didn't want a game where people were fighting and touring those games. So I, I think he gets a lot. He doesn't get enough credit for actually making the game look good and be something that's something that you know, people want to watch and go to and actually watch on television. I think the two <laughs> that stand out to me, honestly, are the, um, um, the lack of fighting, as you mentioned. Um, you know, if you go back to the seventies and eighties, there was, uh, you know, fighting was not an uncommon thing in an NBA game. Um, you know, and David got rid of that and, and sure we have our dust ups from time to time, um, but you know, overall, it's 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 really cleaned that part up. And I think the second part, and this one really stands out to me because I watch a lot of middle school and high school basketball with my my kids growing up, is that um, is the hand checking stuff. He got it out. You know, he basically made a commitment. And and I'm sure you remember, Iris, you're such a big NBA fan. When we first put the no hand checking rules in, it was brutal. Media was killing us. That we were killing the game. That there were too many whistles. But it made it so much better, and and we had to deal with that short-term pain to, to get the game we have now, and and that allows freedom of movement, that allows uh, the ball to move, that allows players to uh, show off their extreme athleticism, um, and all that has made our game more popular. So, uh, for me, and you know, watching other sports that you know become slugfests um, or other versions of basketball, I've really enjoyed watching how our game has evolved into a really free-flowing game. And also just the idea uh, about being able to watch the game. I mean, we talk about how in 1981 the NBA Finals were on tape delay. The, the famous Magic Johnson, uh, where he uh, subbed in at center for Kareem, was you had to watch it at 12.30 at night on tape delay. And the fact that now it's accessible, everybody can watch it. Everybody watch it. And we grew up in Altoona when the no, we couldn't even get a market that actually had the local games. If you were in a city like New York, you might be able to get some. But we could even get, you know, game, we might get like one game a week on CBS. Uh, so it was pretty amazing how he really pushed for people to see the games on television, make it more more accessible, not just in the around the world, but even in the United States. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I, you know, my son's 16 now, and he basically watches whatever game he wants to watch any night, you know, and, and you know, you, as you mentioned, with you and I, when we were growing up, I mean, you got the Friday night late game, and, and you got a Sunday afternoon game, and that was pretty much it. And then in the playoffs, you know, you'd be really treated, and you might get two games in a day. Um <laughs> You know, and so it, it is, uh, it's just, it, but again, that's all part of like the number of things that my son knows about players and what they're good at and what their um, their shooting forms look like and what their, you know, what their specific skills are is so much better than we could have ever had as kids because we could go months, if not an entire year without watching the Denver Nuggets play, you know, or the Milwaukee Bucks and 
uh, and kids today can watch any game they want on any given night. So it's uh, there's no question that that awareness has created the same type of level of um, knowledge of our players and has, has grown their brands to a really high level. Well, again, I just uh, want to thank you again for coming on and to Iron Sports and talking about Commissioner Stern. Is there anything else you might want to leave a, a little tidbit about him that our listeners might want to hear? You know, it's funny. I, I wrote a little column for the Altoona Mirror um, that ran yesterday, and, and it's one of my favorite stories about David, and I didn't get into all the details of it, but I, I talked about a time in which he was uh, – he called me in the morning after a particularly tough night um, – he had made a decision that was not very popular with some of the public, and he called me up and said, you know, I'm getting my butt kicked, and and I was like, well, yeah, so we sort of chuckled about it for a little bit at some of the things people wrote, and, you know, I, you know, I had agreed with the decision he made, but I also didn't think he needed to be taking the hits that he was taking, and, you know, I said to him, I said, do you think maybe you should do the other thing, and and he said to me, he paused, and he just was like, do you think I'm wrong? And I was like, no, I think you're right. And he goes, well, you know, why would I change my mind because of public outcry? I have to do what's right. And he said, and you should always do what you think is right, even if it means you're going to have to take some hits for it. And I never forgot it because it was it was an extremely powerful message to me that when you're in a position that he was in, you have to stand for something. And it can't just be that I'm going to stand up until people tell me I'm wrong or beat me up publicly. It's going to be I'm going to stand for my decisions and I'm going to stand for what I think is right. And that's always what stood out to me about David is that is that he was going to do the right thing. And you may not agree with it. And by the way, he might have been wrong in what he was doing. <laughs> but in, if he felt it was right, that's the direction he was going to go and he was never, ever going to compromise uh, what he thought his values were uh, you know, for the good of some type of pat on the back. Well, I really appreciate I mean, my condolences. I know you work with him for, you know, as you said, 13 years. Um, my condolences for your loss. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, the, 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 the legacy of uh, the greatest commissioner, of course, in the NBA, but one of the greatest leaders of in, in business and sports and anything that we've had in the United States. I mean, he's the type of person that I think could, could lead anything, any company with his skill level. So I appreciate you coming on and saying a few words. You got it. Thanks for having me, and uh, I always appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on.